There's a lot of really, for lack of a better word, just uptight parents. It all comes from a good place, I think, like wanting the best for your kids and, you know, giving them an edge or just, you know, making sure you have the best. And when you're high achievement, that kind of filters down to your kids and you strive for the same for them. But there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't matter, frankly, at the end of the day, whether it be around getting the best gear, stressing over like preschool admissions. And so much of it at the end of the day comes down to like, do you have like love in the household? And like, can they actually like feel that? Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mike Dubow, Mike has been a consultant, a growth leader at companies like Tilt and Stitch Fix, an advisor, and now is a general partner at Greylock, one of the most well-known venture firms in Silicon Valley. But most importantly, he's a husband and father of two kids. Mike and I covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talk about how to get into alignment and when you feel ready to have kids. Having a second kid two months into the pandemic Resiliency in kids, balancing professional lives as two working parents of young children, how to make time for your spouse, and what it's like to be the social chair of your marriage. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike Dubow as much as I did. Welcome, Mike Dubow, to our show today. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Hey, Adam. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and who you are and sort of how you came into the role that you're in today? Yeah, sure. So I grew up as one of three kids, oldest of three in the Midwest, Chicago suburbs, and kind of had always grown up a Michigan football fan. So that kind of drove the college decision, went to school there. I studied engineering undergrad. And so coming out of that, I graduated in 07, you know, A lot of my classmates at the time, I think Google had just opened their Ann Arbor office, but a lot of people were essentially going to work at kind of car companies in Detroit. That at the time was less interesting to me. And so I kind of, you know, went off and wanted to move to Chicago. Bain & Company was a firm that was hiring a bunch of engineers. And I ended up kind of going there to, to start my career. You know, I actually, the driving decision behind that was kind of optimizing for variety. My biggest fear professionally was going and getting bored. And it felt like this pattern of working for kind of you know, a different company every few months, or in the case of the private equity group, like diligence is something new every few weeks, was just, uh, you know, optimizing for learning and intellectual stimulation. It actually served that. So I had a great experience there. I got to spend my third year in Australia. You know, I think that the work itself and the people were fantastic. I wasn't always like passionate or, you know, that interested in like the clients and the industries I was in, which is kind of the problem of why I didn't want to keep doing that long term. I mean, there are a number of other reasons, but I have nothing but good things to say about that experience. So kind of always had it in me to try to get out to the West Coast and do tech stuff. And I was kind of brought out originally, I went to Stanford GSB for business school. And kind of out there, that's when I started dabbling in different startups. You know, I kind of viewed working in startups as a way to better align the way I spent my time in areas that I was interested in. So I was always kind of a food and restaurant geek. And so went and kind of worked with a bunch of different food startups Spent the most time at one called Kitchet was was a marketplace to bring chefs to your house. You know, yeah. RIP that category. Kitchet, Kitchet, circling and all this. I think I used Kitchet at one point for like an anniversary dinner for me and my wife. It was shortly after we had our first kid, and we we're like, we cannot leave the house. Like, we can't do anything. How about yeah. somebody comes and cooks us dinner? And it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I think like had we not gone down the Fender path and kind of kept it as 
essentially a high-end catering business, like would have been a great experience. I mean, chefs yeah. loved it. Chefs were fundamentally creative people that were stifled, kind of working their way up the line of a corporate kitchen. They could kind of have their own platform to do their thing before. It was a beautiful thing on supply side, you know, demand side to scale. We try to go down the curve and making it affordable, which kind of blows the whole model up. So anyway, long way of saying, you know, I got interested in marketplace businesses and kind of, you know, experiential things like that. And so that's kind of what brought me into working at Tilt. You know, I joined pretty early just after kind of post YC. There were a number of people kind of writing code there at the time. And I was joined to kind of be the first person to help assess why the thing was growing 20% month on month without us really understanding why. And so that I kind of learned at the time, and this was 2013, that, you know, growth was a thing that was kind of becoming a profession. And so got to know Alex Schultz was head of growth at Facebook at the time and kind of was an advisor to us and kind of helped me cut my teeth. And that's how I got to know people like, like yourself and Brian and the good folks yeah. at Reforge that were trying to codify all this and kind of spent the next few years doing that. You know, we ended up getting acquired by Airbnb and there are probably a lot more lessons there on what not to do than what to do, which led me to Stitch Fix, which was a better outcome. I was there until about a year post IPO, joined as the first person doing user acquisition, stuff in house. And that was more of a performance marketing kind of I ran the marketing budget there. So a little bit different than the product and community growth at Tilt. And about a year post kind of going public, was starting to get antsy again and kind of had known the team at Greylock over the years. Actually, you know, our friend Casey and some others used to run a growth community there. And I was kind of a part of that. And, you know, through a story I won't go into deep detail on, like ended up becoming an investor and have been doing that for the last three and a half, four years, focused mainly on kind of marketplace commerce businesses. It's like full circle on the whole like variety and sort of new scenery, right? Like as an investor, you see a lot of different businesses. There's probably daily variety in who you're talking to and what you're learning about and stuff. A little different than a consultant. I don't know how much people want your advice. Probably a lot because you've done the job before. So that's pretty great. You're four, you know, three and a half, four years into investing. How do you find that versus your time as an operator inside a company? Just state the obvious, like it is quite different, but I do think like, you know, all these firms are quite different. And I think Greylock's style of doing the job, most of us, if not all of us, I think we're X kind of product or go to market like leaders or founders. Yeah. And so it's a specific type of way that we work with companies and it's kind of the brand that we have. And if you ask founders about working with us, like usually kind of the X operator, like empathy is like a big part of it. And so I'm not sure I would love the job doing it at every firm, but mm -hmm. certainly Greylock style like resonates with me. But it's interesting, like your point on variety and kind of optimizing for learning, like I actually think, you know, to get meta for a sec, like growth is actually a function, I think that's, you know, optimizing for learning and it's kind of building systems yeah. around kind of learning. And I think it's a little bit different than I think if I were purely on like the head of sales track or head of marketing or whatever, that's a deeply specific and kind of functional skill set versus growth. You know, this is also some of the existential career crisis a lot of us in growth have, where it's like kind of this broad thing. Every company yeah. defines it differently. But I do think like, if I think about the nature of experiments that, you know, you might run from one week to the next and where it sits like in between different functions, like it is quite a broad and like high variety kind of discipline, I would say. Yeah. And so certainly it's different than venture where I might spend one week, you know, learning about food supply chain, the next kind of looking in the some kind of corner of crypto. But I do think like, you know, I was able to scratch that. It's certainly doing growth. And I, you know, I was actually pretty happy, like on that path still. But anyway, to answer your question, like I do think the two are, you know, they are quite different. I would say a couple of the key differences are like, you know, 
Growth is a function where you are seeing the needle move in some way, like every week, if not like every day. Certainly with performance marketing, like I was spending north of 100 million a year. As you know, you like you could get data back on that kind of scale of spend like pretty quickly and you're iterating on that. And in, in venture, like the feedback loops are quite long. In fact, I'm not sure I've seen like any complete feedback loops that investments have made yet, right? And so you're looking at kind of interim metrics, but you're also just having, you know, your own conviction and confidence and kind of the path and strategy that you're choosing to take and just recognize that you're not going to get data back for a number of years. And, and that's like quite different than, than kind of a function that's built on kind of rapid iteration and experimentation. Yeah. So that's one. I think the other piece is like the relatively independent nature of work. And, you know, Greylock's a tight team and a tight partnership and we are fairly like team oriented, but you know, any way you cut it, like there is an individual partner kind of who has responsibility for an individual investment and you know, it's, it's definitely a more, you know, I've heard of it described in different ways, you know, baseball team versus basketball team or, you know, whatever. But like, I do think there's more on the individual and kind of the way you spend your time. It's, I spend less time on a day-to-day basis with my entire team that I did in growth. And so running a big function, you know, where you feel like you're the father of like some work family (laughs) is like pretty different than like, you know, being out kind of hunting with one of my partners or an associate being on the boards I'm on, like, you're spending your day yeah. in an extrovert away with people, but it's different than running a team. And th- there are pros and cons associated with that. And I guess the final thing, part of what I really love about venture is like there is ultimate flexibility on how you spend your time and it's very unstructured. So I think for people who like need a rigid kind of structure or agenda and how they spend their time, it's probably not for them. But I, you know, I have found a lot of freedom and I guess empowerment from being able to like spend my weeks, you know, how I best see fit. And, you know, when you're part of a company that scales, there become like more recurring meetings and kind of things that you're just like on the hook for. And some of those don't give you energy. And I think, I feel like at least to this point, I'm still relatively new. You know, I've been able to try to optimize my schedule for things that really like give me energy and kind of balance like the deep thinking time versus kind of the, you know, being in meetings like time and that recording podcast time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) quite happy. So I don't know. Those are a few things top of mind. You know, I guess the final point I will say is like, there's a temptation, I think, for ex-operators specifically doing venture to try to get in and get their hands dirtier than they should. And I'm not sure I've like struck that balance right yet, because there are things that like I have known and that founders want to work with me on, you know, things that I've kind of learned or have done at Stitch Fix and that I will only have been able to see by being operating at that scale for like an e-commerce business and investing in things in e-commerce. Like you actually get asked to perhaps like go a little bit deeper than your board member or, you know, like should ultimately you should be hiring people to do this. And that balance is an interesting one because like if your companies are too dependent on you for certain things, like that might not be the right, like long-term solution. And so that's yeah. like something that I think a lot of ex-operators who do venture kind of struggle with on like, you know, how deep you should go. That makes a ton of sense. I think this is a really cool thread of how you have optimized your time going through your career. You mentioned being a work father. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your own sort of parents and relationship with parents. So you mentioned you're one of three and you grew up in Chicago or Chicago suburb. So tell me about life growing up. What are your siblings like? What are they into? What were your parents like? You know, is everybody still in the Chicago, general Chicago area or kind of distributed? Yeah. Funny, my wife grew up in the same town and she's one of three also. She's in the middle, but like both of our parents and all of our siblings are all back in the Chicago area. So we are, the magnetic pole is strong, but we've chosen a path out here and are happily, you know, 
residents of Marin and kind of intend to stay out here for now. But yeah, there's definitely like, it's like pretty deep Midwest roots, Chicago roots across both of us. And I love Chicago. But yeah, you know, I would say for my family, I guess, you know, my grandparents were Jewish immigrants from kind of Eastern Europe, Poland, that kind of moved with basically nothing and were jewelers in Chicago. So they kind of had like the, you know, not college educated, just kind of entrepreneurial grit to run a jewelry store. And what was a rough part of Chicago at the time, now it's Wicker Park, which is kind of hipster, but like they stopped doing that, like, you know, when they were older, I think it was the third time they were held up by gunpoint and just said, screw it. But, you know, family of kind of self-made, you know, jewelers to whom family, to them actually culture, which in our case was like Judaism and Jewish culture was kind of everything. And that trickled down to my brothers. And I think, I mean, there were a couple of things that trickled down. So like to my parents, you know, I think many parents, we just want to create a better future for our kids than we had ourselves. I was fortunate. I would consider like had a good upbringing. You know, my dad was working his ass off all the time. He was an OBGYN and kind of home at weird hours, but always made it a point when I was growing up playing sports, just be at every event I had. You could tell he was dedicated, even if he wasn't always physically present for like dinners, like like the quintessential kind of like family sitting down together every night and such. Was, we always mm-hmm. had kind of a weird schedule. But both my younger brothers were competitive athletes, you know, played mm-hmm. sports during college and such. I was not so talented on that, but I would say we all kind of had, I think, a pretty competitive edge that probably came from my grandparents, like to my parents, but essentially like when you feel like you have to, you know, fight and earn for every dollar, I think that definitely kind of, you know, made its way down. And I haven't really found the right way to kind of put this into words before, but it was just always something that I think was, I would call like a kind form of competition, which was, it never felt like, you know, we're trying to get a leg up at the expense of anyone else, but certainly like this notion of like winning. And I would say, kind of ran deep through my siblings and I. My parents, my mom was a nurse, my dad is a doctor. And so, you know, we didn't really, we weren't like business savvy, you know, as a family. (laughs) I would say doctors are notoriously bad at that stuff, particularly (laughs) around like finances. I don't think I picked that up like from my parents. But yeah, there are a number of interests that I definitely attribute back to my dad. I mean, like, I would say deeply musical, like family. You know, if you go in our basement still, it's like, a bunch of drum kits and like 13 guitars and he oh, still cool. to this date gets together. He plays in a band called the Rock and Backs. Like, so I think that if I think about the importance of music to me, it's all attributed to my parents, you know, sports and creativity and that type of stuff. But yeah, the most kind of critical thread probably comes from like that Jewish immigrant kind of mentality that made its way to my parents and then down to us, I suppose. So. And I wonder if you're bringing that to your family. So this is a good segue. Tell me about your family now. As far as I know, you have two young-ish kids, right? And a wife. Tell me about your wife. Did you meet in the same hometown or did you meet after that? We met when we were little kids, basically. We started dating, you know, after college, we were both living in Chicago. And, you know, that that was our, like, kind of serious chapter of being together. It's probably right after college. And then, you know, I went off to Australia for a year, but <laughs> things stayed together. And then she moved out to California with me and we've kind of created our life together. Kind of, we got married after we moved out here, but we kn- knew each other growing up, you know, had like, I guess, you know, what would be considered like a childhood fling in that type of mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, you know, right now she's, you know, she doesn't work in tech or any of this stuff at all. So she's been at the same profession, uh, kind of steady through since like being a college intern at ad agency. She's spent the last whatever we graduated in 07. So the last 15 years at two different agencies. She's been in her current one for over 10 years and works with creatives all day. She 
effectively runs account services there. She's on the account side, but at a creative agency, which I find to be pretty refreshing at home. Like certain people feels like in the Bay Area and the circles where I'm like, many people are in the same profession as their spouse, which has benefits. For me, I find it to be pretty like, you know, just a refreshing change of pace at home when really there's not, you know, we talk about work stuff, but there's only so deep you could go, which I think it's a feature, not a bug. For her, family's always been kind of everything. And so I was always psyched to kind of see how that would impact, you know, like our family. And we had our first kid in 2017. So he's almost five. And we had our second one, like two months into the pandemic, born May of 2020. And that's our family now. I think we both grew up in families of three. And so we're like, man, you know, maybe envision having like more than two kids early on. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're pretty content at the moment. And so, so that's like, yeah, that's currently our family setup. Okay. Maybe supplant with like a dog or a furry or like a reptile or something. Not compare (laughs) children to reptiles, but you know. So tell me about like the decision the two of you went through to, to start a family, because I feel like, you know, sometimes in the Bay Area, you know, that could be a decision that people have to make. It's not like a foregone conclusion, especially in with two working parents and things like that. So what was that process like? Did, did you always know sort of, is that something you talked about early on when you got together? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, we were always aligned that we wanted to have kids and have a family. And, you know, for her, she was certainly ready, like long before I was. And mm-hmm. I would say candidly, like, I don't think I was ready when we had our first kid. I'm still not sure I'm ready, but they're here, right? And, and for yeah. me, like the big thing was I... I guess I have like more of the adventure archetype. And to me, it kind of ties to the, what I said early on was the fear of kind of like stagnation, whatever, being bored or still. I kind of always, I had really valued travel, backpacking, being able to like, you know, be flexible and make different moves where a career or otherwise without having, you know, the fear of like dependence or really like having an anchor. And kids are an anchor. Like there's no other way around. Like when you have dependence, your flexibility is limited. And certain parents are better about, you know, continuing things that were important before, whether it be travel, living in different countries, but everything becomes a lot harder. And it's been the best trade-off ever. Like the return on that investment is, you know, beyond what I could have imagined. But certainly like for me, I was in this state where I definitely was still craving more adventure in life and like, particularly around like traveling and also like, you know, taking risks. I mean, career risk is probably like a different topic, but, but I do think around specifically around traveling and kind of just being able to explore and see more of the world and experience more. Like I was worried that would have to stop. And maybe it feels like trivial or surface level, but to me, it was very like deeply important. And, you know, candidly, it has kind of stopped. And so we try to find our ways of kind of still being able to scratch that itch. But to answer the question on like the context in which it came for me, it was always like, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to feel totally satiated on this. And so we know we want to have kids. It feels like for biological reasons and stuff, like we were both 37 now. And so at the time we had our first kid, I think she was 32, like, you know, there was some, and I know out here people have kids a lot older and in Chicago, it felt like, you know, most of our friends are doing it in their late forties. So I don't know, I guess it kind of just felt like the time and, you know, my dad being an OB, you also hear more about the statistics when you get older and challenges and stuff like that. So yeah, we just kind of went for it and we figured that we would find the way to kind of weave our lives around that after the fact and just recognize there's only so much we'd be able to kind of plan for in advance. Tell me about the earliest memory that you have of becoming a father. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, the earliest one was at the hospital. Like I remember being terrified when we went in 
you know, UCSF is a great hospital. There's nothing terrifying about like the actual environment or experience, right. but more just like, oh shit, this is like from this moment, like every, I go back to that Bill Murray, like line in Lost in Translation where that, I don't know if you remember this scene, but like kind of talks about how everything you had known before is gone. Your life as you know, it is no longer. And that's a forever thing, right? Like from that moment, you're forever a parent. That's a big part of your identity. And you know, what you knew of life at the time will no longer be the same. And it's, you know, a before and after is kind of the way I've thought about life since then. And that's yeah. just a very terrifying concept, right? Like, especially as someone who has fear of dropping the anchor too deep. But I remember, you know, and I'm not someone who, you know, I think I'm a, a an empathetic person. I'm like aware of my emotions, but I'm not like hypersensitive. I'm like the expressing them like front. And I just remember crying like instantly. And that was like, you know, it, I articulated this to a friend actually recently on it felt like having a kid was kind of like opening up a new chamber of my heart. Or another way I would say it is kind of expanding the spectrum of emotions because like the lows get really low too, but the highs are, whoa, I haven't tapped into that range in a while. And yeah, so I would say the earliest memory was kind of that at the hospital was kind of just being overwhelmed in what felt like a beautiful way. I was also probably sleep deprived, but that, (laughs) It's amazing what a sleep deprivation will do to your emotions too. But, you know, I've heard a few people say either like opening up sort of broadening their capacity for love or opening up another part of your heart, like you mentioned, or just extending emotional range. I think that's a thing that a lot of dads feel, but sometimes it's like kind of hard to find the words to describe it. So thank you for doing that. Tell me about some of the things that you found kind of most surprising as a dad or discoveries, good, bad, or whatever. It's funny because your time as a, as a second time parent, it's so different. (laughs) And so I'm trying to go back to like the, what it was like to have a kid for the first time. And, you know, one kind of broad theme I would say is like, kids are pretty resilient. And like, Mm -hmm. I thought like in the beginning, you know, you're basically like trying to keep them alive. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Like I I think, and I actually, I actually felt like, you know, it was kind of hard early on. Like, I think the mom is this kind of biological connection where, you're feeding the kid, like there's a different, assuming you're nursing and such, like there's a very different relationship that I think the mom has early on versus for me, I think the first time my son like really smiled at me, like that was kind of like, oh shit, like there's an emotional thing going on here. Like there's a connection. In the early days, it was much more about like logistics and kind of frankly, like watching my wife, Jenna, like kind of looking out for her (laughs) and like making sure Mm -hmm. she was okay and kind of together while also doing things and stressing to keep the kid alive. And I would say like on... Sorry, that sounds very crude, but that's the reality of it. I think the surprising thing was like, when I think about how much less we did the second time around and everything was just fine and actually probably Quinn, our daughter, ended up probably being more chill, like as a result, obviously you don't want to drop the kid on their head, but like the human body is an amazing thing. And I think, you know, they, I guess it would surprise me how kind of like resilient kids ultimately are and how much happens just kind of through, you know, (laughs) science and evolution and stuff versus like anything that we it's easy to stress on like, hey, am I doing this wrong as a parent or, you know, just really stressing over every indis- individual thing. And I think like some of the best advice I got, which is impossible to practice, but actually still good advice was like, treat your first kid like they're your second. And man, I wish I had kind of followed that. So <laughs> that's great advice, except nobody knows what a second kid feels like until you have one. So you've worked at a bunch of you know, I would describe them as probably pretty hard driving companies, like early stage startup, yeah. consultancy, stitch fix, like going through a crazy growth on the way to being a public company. Now investing, which I've talked to a lot of folks who say they work 
harder as an investor than even when they were an operator in some cases. Probably, you know, the bar is raised on what a really great investor requires. So how do you manage this balance, if it is that, between, you know, startup culture, being an investor, needing to be present for your family, and also, you know, your wife works full-time as an agency, has her own career. Like, how have the two of you and how have you kind of managed all that stuff? It's an ongoing challenge. And, you know, I, I wish I had great answers. I would just say there's a couple of points I would make. So, like, I do think having constraints helps you prioritize your time better. And so I know that for me, like, it's very important that when I'm doing dad mode, like I'm very present during that and I'm not perfect at this. And, you know, sometimes I'm a lot better than others, depending on what's going on and what's kind of pulling my attention. But this is an insight I had early on was like, one of the beautiful things about being a parent is how much newness your kid is experiencing every day. And if you really do your best to tap into that, like, it's kind of like you're learning all this stuff again as well. And like, it's a very like meditative thing, actually. Anyway, for me, it was always very important for selfish and, you know, just unselfish reasons to try to be as present as possible kids, which means that like, you know, there's a cutoff every day and a time every morning mm-hmm. where I can't be doing work. And I've had to work around that. And I would say, you know, for me, it's kind of just been an exercise and like better force prioritization of my time. So stuff that will have fallen below the line before, I'm just like, you know, saying no to that earlier on, like my to-do list is shorter, right? And maybe you could look at it. If you're a founder, you probably look at that and say like, well, this is a VC who's like, you know, you got a cushier job or whatever. Or like, you know, I would say I've never, I've definitely been grinding just as hard at this job as I have at any other operating gig I've had. It's true. Yeah. Like I said up front that there is more flexibility on kind of how you spend your time than if you're running a company. But yeah, I would just say, you know, it forces you to become a lot better prioritizing you know, maybe more, more tactically. And we're fortunate to be able to like, you know, afford good childcare. And, you know, we haven't gone excessive on that. Like until actually until last week, we had a nanny that was, you know, full-time in the sense like eight to five every day or eight to five thirty. Now that both kids are in school full-time, we've actually cut that. We're going to see how that works. I have a feeling Mm -hmm. we're going to need, we might need more help, but I do think like things like early on, like you know, we, we didn't do the night nurse the first time around the second time we did just to look out for our sleep and okay. like little things to help just make sure you're in the best kind of like state where you're actually the hours you work, you're actually putting your best energy into it versus kind of draining. And I think like there are certain, you know, systems there. And just one example, but like going to bed at the right time, trading off, yeah. like I'm kind of who takes care of the kids and when planning things further in advance on like which nights each of us are going to be out during the week. So we could kind of plan accordingly and not be surprised. You know, I, I guess we've just had to be more planful overall and just be more ruthless and like prioritizing time. Yeah. I don't know that I have like better secrets or kind of like tips than that. You know, I think, I hope you could tell me, I hope things get easier once the kids could kind of take care of themselves a little bit better. Like right now, it feels like that's not the case. And honestly, right. sometimes we just have to be easier on ourselves. Like we're not super ruthless with like screen time. Our kids aren't sitting in front of screens all day. But like if we need the, the extra hour to like do work or 45 minutes or whatever to do work or when one of us is prepping dinner or something, like it's okay to us that the kids watch a movie and we just had to yeah. be gentle on ourselves on that and not stress out too much. You kind of start to figure out what things you need to be rigid on and where you can flex. And yeah, I think it is a game changer when your kids learn how to pour themselves a bowl of cereal and not spill the milk all over the place. 
which my kids, one is, I have a 10 year old and a seven year old. One, one can do it. One is working on it. But you know, the challenge is just sort of change shape a little bit, right? You're having different conversations. You're probably not arguing with your five-year-old about a cell phone, but that's the thing that my 10-year-old is very cognizant of. So it sounds like just sort of like really good advanced planning and making sure that you're being good about your time and being really clear on where the line is has helped you a lot. Are there any other particular, you know, I'm a frameworks person working in product now. Venture has a lot of frameworks. Have you developed any frameworks for parenting? It sounds like I should. I have not. I mean, there's one system. It's not a framework, but I would say a a new system that we're trying. Like one of the things that I think has been the toughest about parenting is it does, in most like couples I've, like we're happily married you know, we've been married for a while, I get approaching 10 years next year, but like, it's just hard on a relationship because so much of our energy is poured into the kids and our jobs that by the end of the day, like, you know, we don't have as much time to, you know, expend it on each other. And that over a long period of time could be pretty taxing and damaging to a relationship. And so we've just recently started to like build in, it's a very obvious thing, but like build in date night every week where we do have a babysitter and where we do it earlier in the day, we're doing it on a Saturday. So like, 4 p.m. onwards, where like we have a little bit of childcare on the weekends to help put the kids to bed. And that, I think it was a bit of a mindset shift because we were always before, it's like, well, we're working all week. We want the weekends to be all kid time. But by the end yeah. of it, we're so drained. They're not getting the best of us. And so it's like a win-win to actually be able to check out for five hours and us have a, you know, no matter what we do, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it's just Jenna and I every week. So I'll tell you how that's going in six months. But like, that's something that I well, feel like many people realize they should do. And we probably realize it a little bit too late, but that is, you know, one thing we're doing. So, yeah, I think making time for your significant other is pretty, pretty critical. I would say my wife and I don't always achieve that, but yeah, having that standing date night, pretty important, not only just to spend time with each other, but also, you know, take a break from one night of putting the kids to bed, which at five and two, I'm sure is a circus in your house. Partnership's super important when you have kids, a lot of communication and a lot of sort of compromise and things like that. But it's also kind of hard, I find, with partners to kind of agree on everything all the time. So I'm curious if you and your wife have a particular aspect of parenting that you don't agree on, where you have like different philosophies and how have you kind of worked through that together? You know, it goes back to a point I made earlier on how we like to like spend our time around like traveling and like socializing. Like I tend to be more of the, I guess, like social chair of our marriage. And, you know, for me, it's a very, I guess I grew up going on like vacations and stuff like with other families and like community and friendships were like, I saw my parents have other friends and kind of their community. Mm -hmm. and, And frankly, like we don't have family out here. And so to me, it's important to invest in friendships that could start to feel like that. And, you know, if you look at many other cultures, how they raise kids, like it's a literal village versus kind of like, we just don't have help around us. And so I would say Jen and I probably disagree a little bit on the extent to which friends could like fill a gap that, and in her mind, like family sacred and nothing will ever replace that. And while I agree with that, I think like every time we travel, like Usually the first kind of idea in her mind is like, how could we find a way to see family, which is great. And now we've kind of built in systems to get back to Chicago every year and such. But for me, it's like, 
I have this desire probably to kind of go and spend that time with like others, like people who are friends and close to us. And, you know, she enjoys that too, but I think it's more like, you know, for her, maybe perhaps that seems like a bit of a sacrifice on like either our family time or time that we would spend with like our extended family. And I don't know that we found like a great resolution on that yet, other than just kind of, you know, it kind of goes to the point of prioritization where one of the things that I've had the hardest time with since having kids is like a lot of friendships of people that don't have kids start to fade a little bit. And that's, you know, again, I'm sure other people do a better job at this than us, but I would say acknowledging that some of that's inevitable while also just realizing that you have to go further out of your way to go and kind of make plans and recognize that could be actually a better, it could actually, yeah. you know, be a win-win and that kids are playing with other kids and kind of going and entertaining themselves too. It makes it easier on you. So I would say that the risk of rambling, like probably the crux of what we maybe disagree on there is the importance and potential for like social and friend relationships to kind of replace this gap that we're feeling by not having like family around us. Yeah. And you know, not feeling guilty about that. That's really a fascinating point. It's only something that I think I've really started to appreciate more recently as our kids have gotten a little bit older and we do have more of a community. Usually school is the first place we kind of establish that new friend community where you can get together as parents and commiserate and have your kids like run around with each other and stuff. So yeah, it's really fascinating. I think you and I are in kind of the same boat when it comes to that. So I want to come back to a thing we talked about early, which you mentioned that your daughter was born two months into the pandemic. So I know what I was doing two months into the pandemic, and my kids were quite a bit older. What was that like? What's it been like parenting young children during the pandemic? Man, that was a foggy time. Because also what was going on at the time is our son had just started preschool, I think in like January of 2020. And so, you know, he was pulled out in March and then we tried doing like a month of the Zoom stuff, which was a mess when your kid's two and a half years old. It's like, we're going to do it. So, and we didn't have a full-time nanny at that point either. So it was my wife and I, two kids at home. I mean, I guess I I took six weeks of leave in the beginning of it, but yeah, it was really hard. And we, there was a bunch of uncertainty on like, how paranoid should we be around COVID and young kids? And, you know, the plus of it was what a wonderful time for us all to be at home and for previous kids, it was like, I went back to the office fairly quickly. I think I took a month after our first kid. And so I was able to be home and like around them all the time, which there is a plus to that. I mean, we were in a tiny 1200 square foot kind of SF condo at the time. And that started to feel a little bit like crazy, but I would say like the benefit of it was like, we just felt like our unit was like really tight and we were around each other all the time. But honestly, like it was a really hard time. And what we decided to do was we pulled the ripcord and basically went back to Chicago for six, five months in August. And so we basically panic sold our condo in SF. We moved back to Chicago and rented a place next to our siblings for four or five months total. And that's where we did a good chunk of the pandemic. And honestly, like that chapter, like we're really grateful for because having family around during that time, when you have a like a little one, I guess she would have been three months old at the time we got home. That was like really, really clutch. And so that was our experience and what we did. But I would say those were some of our like, you know, there were some highlights, but in general, those are really dark, like challenging and kind of just like exhausting times, which I think is yeah. what we made the we did. You are not the only person who made that choice during the pandemic yeah. with young kids, by the way. Yeah. I know a lot of people who made the move permanently and then never came back. Okay, so I have one more question, much more of a serious question, which is, what do you think is a mistake that you've made as a father? 
So like, if you have a chance to do this a third time, what would you do differently? I would say in general, just being easier on ourselves. And it's kind of more of a mindset thing than anything else. But I think really there's so much stuff you could, when you look around, like, you know, especially in these circles that we're in in the Bay Area in general, like there's a lot of really, for lack of a better word, just uptight parents. It all comes from a good place, I think, like wanting the best for your kids and, you know, giving them an edge or just, you know, making sure you have the best. And when you're high achievement, that kind of filters down to your kids and you strive for the same for them. But there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't matter, frankly, at the end of the day, whether it be around getting the best gear, stressing over like preschool admissions. And so much of it at the end of the day comes down to like, do you have like love in the household? And like, can they actually like feel that? And it probably took me a while to, to kind of realize that, but you start to see as the kids get a little bit older, like they are very conditioned by you, even if it's like subconscious, but like, you know, the overall energy that you set in a home is impacting how a kid's behaving. And to me, paying closer attention to that. And like I said, being really present and making sure that our collective relationship is in a really good place. Like that, I would say I probably didn't think enough about that early on. And especially like you talk about the pandemic stuff, like there's a lot of negative energy, like, you know, around that we're scared, you know, it's kids could feel that I think even from a very young age. And I would probably have put a little bit more care into that, you know, early on. That's really good. Thank you for that. Okay. Are you ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. Here we go. Most indispensable parenting product you've ever purchased. I would say probably our little travel stroller. Like it makes everything like help a lot easier. To, travel to... stroller. Cool. <laughs> Most useless parenting product you've ever purchased. Oh, geez. This is kind of a funny aside right now, but I don't know if this qualifies as a product, but our son, he gets a little bit of TV time like every weekend and we have Disney uh -huh. plus and all these movies and stuff, but yeah. he's been trained to ask for the kind with bonus content. He calls them commercials because he likes that the movies are longer. So we've gotten in this pattern where now we're stuck because we promised him he could watch a movie every Friday. He tricks us into buying, paying $20 for movies that we already own. I would call that completely useless and actually really frustrating. We have to break ourselves from this cycle. It happens the bonus content. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which one of your kids is your favorite? Do you have a uh, favorite kid? <laughs> I can't do that. I will say, like, I didn't know what it would be like to have a girl. You know, I grew up with two brothers. And so being a girl dad is awesome. I feel very grateful to have, you know, one of each. But I would say so, that's been the more surprise. I wasn't sure that was going to go. And it's awesome. So. Most frustrating thing that has ever happened to you as a dad? Kids pooping on airplanes. <laughs> yes. That's got to be in like the top three of everyone's, everyone's <laughs> list. So. What's your go-to dad wardrobe? Ooh. When we're doing Zoom stuff, it's different than being in the office, but I would say shorts and tee. I don't know if there's a dad word around me that this is just maybe Zoom wardrobe, but yeah, a grateful part of being during the pandemic is we don't really have to, you know, dress up too much. So yes, business on yes. the top and I party on the bottom, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. We had a school event and the dress code was COVID formal, which was business up top and like pajama pants down below. Did you ever drop one of your kids as a baby? <laughs> not a terrible drop, thankfully. Okay. I mean, it happens now and again, but no, nothing I could recall. I was probably dropped it. <laughs> How many parenting books do you have in your house? Currently, probably zero. We've had some over the years and donated them. I think there was one one that we read. Well, okay. before our first one. That which gets me to my second question, which is how many parenting books have you actually read cover to cover? Sounds like uh, one, maybe. Yeah, let's go with that. 
Okay, so far, what have been the favorite age or ages for your kids? I think the age my daughter's in right now, which is like two and a half. I mean, it's actually very hard too, but like she's like so adorable. It's just a complete like rascal. I think that age is awesome. I hope that never changes. But the tantrums are starting into that. I'm sure it's going to get oh boy. worse. Yeah. Okay. What about your least favorite age? Probably the first three months. Like it's a, maybe that's a weird answer to give, but like, you know, it just feels like a lot of giving for not a whole lot in return. You're just, when you're, I don't do well on like two hours of sleep a night. And so that, that was really hard. Same. Okay. We talked a little bit about this, but screen time, good, bad, indifferent. It's probably closer to the indifferent thing. Like we're not as rigid on this as some parents. I think it's more about what they're doing on it. I think like, it's hard for me to say it's good, but I do think it's helpful to parents sometimes. And I think there's ways of approaching it where hopefully if your kid's like, like I actually think it's probably helped our kid's imagination to be able to watch full movies like front to back. And so, so I think there's benefits to it, but I would say I'm indifferent up to an extent and beyond that extent, it's bad. So. Okay, cool. Will you ever take your kids to Burning Man? <laughs> yes, when they're older. I don't know what that age is. So, yeah. Okay, okay. So two and a half year old, not great in like 120 degree desert yeah, heat. Probably going to be closer to like the teens age. Okay, um, cool. And then last question, what's your take on minivans? <laughs> Funny you bring this up. I just took a minivan to Burning Man a few days ago. Oh. But, um, for, so for that, I've, ta- I've every, taken a minivan there five times. It's a comfortable ride, practical. I don't own one. I don't, unless we have a third kid, we're not going to have a minivan. We do just fine for okay. SUV right now. But uh, I'm a net promoter on them. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. That does it for our interview today. This has been super fun and insightful. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Mike DeBoe. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe, share, and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production with editing support from Tommy Heron. You can stay up to date on my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishman.com. FishmanAFNewsletter.com. Thanks for listening.